0: as we get to the point. Grab your Bible, and let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and just for a minute, uh, part three today of progressive Christianity, and we're going to talk about this word that we find uh, in the text that Joe read for you, uh, the word is faith. If you're a guest today, uh, I would just encourage you, if you have time, to go back and listen to part one and part two of uh, these two words that are placed together, progressive Christianity which is not true Christianity. It is a hijacked version. It's like uh, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, there are others that preach uh, another gospel. It's not really the gospel, but they are declaring it to be good news, the truth, Uh, we've been addressing some different aspects of what is going on in the church. And so today, I'm going to wrap up this little three-part series with part three on progressive Christianity. And we're going to focus in uh, for just a minute on this word, faith, that you find five times in these six verses. Uh, Sarah Winchester uh, married into the Winchester family. I don't know if you've heard of the Winchester Mansion just outside of Santa Clara, California, but uh, she married into the Winchester family and lived in that mansion for uh, most of her adult life after she got married, before she passed away. But when her husband died, uh, unfortunately, she went and she visited a psychic. And she, uh, of course, was traumatized and heartbroken. And the psychic told her Here's the problem. The problem is for every person that has been killed by a Winchester rifle their spirit is going to haunt you for the rest of your life. There's only one thing that you can do to keep them from doing that and that is you must constantly non-stop never stop building on the mansion. Now think about that. She lived 38 more years after her husband passed away, so for 38 years, every day, you could hear hammers ringing out, pounding on her home as construction never stopped. Now, there was no rhyme or reason to the things that she just kept on building. She passed away in 1922, and to this day, I looked it up online, there are actually hours that you can visit the Winchester Mansion just outside of Santa Clara, California, and people go to it literally on a daily basis, and they go there primarily for one reason. They want to see all of the odd things that she did to that house in order to keep the construction going. Now, in that house, there are doors that just open up into the wall. There are are windows right in the middle of the floor that just open up into the floor joists. As a matter of fact, all through that house, you'll just randomly find stairwells. And those stairwells are built and framed out, and they just end at the top of the ceiling. How many of you could say amen that this is an odd house, right? I believe today that the Winchester Mansion is somewhat of a picture for us of the religious scene and even a picture of progressive Christianity. People are pounding away every day trying to build a faith or a religion that has no rhyme or reason. New foundations are being poured every day that are a complete waste of time and energy. There are even some places that are called the church or a church where people come and visit or gather on a regular basis. And I often look at them and I see that they are attractional. Maybe they're a loving church. Compassionate, welcoming place, but as I take a look at the church, its doctrine, and its function, I would say they are odd at best. They are odd because some are working really hard to build a stairwell to God that leads nowhere in heaven, a faith that is faulty. True biblical faith, I'll call it Christian faith. For this message today, it is not a faulty faith. It is a faith that the book of Jude, verse number three says, Jude writes, I appeal to you, Christian brothers and sisters, we need to contend for the faith. Now that word contend there means to fight. I mean, that's the word. It means to wrestle. It means to strive for the faith. What is the faith that was delivered to us by the saints? It is our our doctrinal belief from creation to the end of the book of Revelation. It is the Word of God, God's redemptive plan that includes our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross. Our Savior is the only way that a human being will ever make it to the Father. Church, hear me today. Christians are to care more for contending for the faith than we are to be concerned about whether or not the message is offensive. Now, I'm not talking about disposition. I'm talking about our position. You you do know that our position is offensive. The Bible says people get offended when you tell them, no, you're a sinner, or no, Jesus is the only way to the Father. They really get offended when you bring up an eternal destination called hell, a place separated from a holy and a righteous God. People say, how dare you to tell me that I'm going to a place called hell? Now, you and I know that we're not just randomly saying that. We're only repeating what the scripture says, right? What we believe, the doctrinal system of our faith, we are to stand with it. We are to stand for it. We are not to build upon it. We are not to pick apart our faith, but stand on the foundation of our faith. That word faith, primarily in this culture, in this world today, is a very pluralistic word. In other words, people believe there are many faiths. There are many ways to God. The world says today, find what faith fits you whatever makes you comfortable, whatever you like the best, just go with your heart and follow that because in the end, we all end up at the same place. Does that give anybody in the room heartburn today? Because we don't find that in the Bible, right? We don't find in the scriptures, figure out your own way or find the best way. What we find is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Someone in this church shared with me this week that they were in a, uh, a worship setting with an ordained minister recently, and this ordained minister of a mainline denomination, he was preaching along through his message, and in the middle of his message, he just stopped and said, now, who am I to say that Jesus is the only way to the Father? Now, obviously, this ordained minister was open to there being more than one way to God, because pluralism says there are many faiths, there are many ways to God, but but you and I know that's not the Christian faith. There's the Christian faith, and then there's everything else that people choose to believe in. There there may be faith involved. In other words, you believe in something, or you're trusting in something, But, but, but I declare to you today that apart from faith in Jesus Christ, any faith is nothing but doors that lead into walls, windows that lead into the floor, and staircases that do not lead to nowhere. They actually lead to an eternity separated from a holy and a righteous God. A true Christian, someone who has been born again, saved by God's grace, has been awakened by the Spirit of God after we hear the truth of the gospel, the Holy Spirit speaks to us and draws us to repentance and faith in Jesus. Faith is trusting in Christ and Christ alone for the atonement of our sins. Do you understand that today? Do you believe that today? Because that's what Christian faith is. If if you've never had a moment in your life when you have acknowledged that you're a sinner, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, when you confess your sin and confess Him as Lord, it's our prayer that today might be your day of salvation. I plead with you, come to Christ. He's the only way that you'll ever have the right standing before the Father. That's what Christian faith is all about. The writer in Hebrews chapter 11 here is writing about Christian faith, and he's showing us that our faith calls us to action. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 is really about. It's about an active faith. We take the word of God and we act on it in trust, knowing that when we do that, there may be consequences. When we do that, people may not like it. When we do that, people may hate us. They may criticize us. They may push back on us. They may call us names. Certainly many people view us today as narrow-minded. Uh, we're called Bible thumpers and all kinds of things, right? Because we just believe the book. And I want to say to you as your pastor today, we're not, again, we're not talking about your disposition. We're talking about your position. Never apologize for standing on the book. Never apologize for standing on the word of God. And, and, and I must also remind you, that our faith brings many Christians on a daily basis to consequences that are frightening. It brings them to moments that are unknown. For some, even the moment of losing their life because of what they profess. But instead, we move forward. And as Christians, we obey God's Word. We believe Him, God, who declares what is right and we believe our God who knows what is best. Hebrews chapter 11. Look at it with me real quick. The Christian faith. Our faith in Jesus is built on the entire Word of God. Genesis 1 to the end of the book of Revelation. The writer here is speaking to these Jewish Christians, and he's, and he's expounding for them what it means To put your faith in Jesus. What does it look like moving forward? Now, last Sunday, I showed you that in the the 40s, there was persecution, maybe a reference back to that moment. If the book of Hebrews is written in the 60s, we're looking forward to just a few years to the destruction of the temple, and they know that persecution is coming, and, and so the writer here, first of all, says to them that true faith in Jesus, it lives with conviction in truth. Look at verse number one. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Assurance. In other words, it's settled. Our faith is settled. It's settled in our expectation of who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to do in our lives. It's settled where we're going. And so we live that life with this evidence, this conviction of things that are not seen. Now, the word faith means to believe. Here it means to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. It was delivered to us once by the saints. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you and I are sitting here today in a church, and we are blessed that the gospel made it to us. Amen? Can we just really say amen to that? Because there are people all around the world, all around the world, the gospel has never been delivered to. There's so many that have never heard the name of Jesus. They've never heard why he died on the cross. They don't even know that there is a remedy for the sin in their life. And so I want to pause and just say, praise God that the gospel made it to us. The faith, the body of belief that Jude is talking about in in Jude verse 3, the faith is my faith. Can you say that today? The faith is my faith because it has become personal in my life. I'm not not wishy-washy in my faith. I'm not looking for a better faith. I'm not looking to improve on my faith. My faith is settled. My faith is in Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. How do I know about Jesus? What I know about him, I learn from the word of God. Look at verse number three. The writer here says, by faith we understand the universe was created by what? Created by the spoken word of God. Hear me today, church. The battle today is not over different faiths. The real battle today is over the word of God. The word of God. Has God spoken? the Word of God is our authority. It is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. The Word of God is sufficient. It's just as sufficient in 2021 as it's ever been. We don't need an updated version. We don't need uh, an addendum. Uh, We don't need an amendment. We have forever the settled Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 89, the psalmist said, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. That word settled there means firmly fixed, remain to remain standing, to be in its position. The word of God never changes. The word doesn't shift. The the, the word of God doesn't, doesn't blow by whatever religious wind is blowing. No, the word of God is forever settled. It is permanent that's why John Ripon wrote in 1787 how firm a foundation ye saints of the lord it is laid for your faith where in his excellent word what more can he say than to you he has said to you who for refuge to jesus has fled jesus has or god has nothing else to say his word is complete and his word is settled What more can he say than to you he's already said, to you who to Jesus for refuge has fled? Let me ask you today have you ran to Jesus for your refuge? Have you ran to him? Is he your security? Is he your safety? Are you living today in that conviction, the conviction that Jesus is Lord? Is it settled? Do you have a firm foundation? Oh, too many people view faith as being related to our feelings. Our faith is not related to our feelings. It's related to firm, settled facts. Hear me today, Christian. Your faith is not a blind faith. That's why some writers say we need to be careful with Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number one, because some say, here we have the definition of faith. No. This is a definition of faith only if it is linked to the assurance of the hope that we have in Jesus, because we do not have a blind or a brainless faith. Kent Hughes, look on the screen, said, true faith is neither brainless nor a sentimental feeling. It is a solid conviction resting on God's words that makes the future present and the invisible seen Faith has at its core a massive sense of certainty. Is that the kind of faith you have today? Do you have, could you say, no, in my life, I'm not fickle and I'm not all over the map and I'm not running over here and running over there? No, I'm certain my faith is settled because my faith is in Christ. Robert Morris said, faith extends beyond what we learn from our senses. And the author here in Hebrews is saying, that it has its reasons. Its tests are not those of the senses which yield uncertainty. No, our faith has assurance. Our faith has conviction. The conviction of our faith proves the things that are not seen. You know what faith does? It exposes the invisible. What is conviction, church? What is a conviction? I was talking to someone this week about this word. You know what a conviction is? It is something that you believe in that you are willing to die for. It's something you believe in you're willing to go to jail for. Just across that northern border, I remind you again of Pastor James Coates of the Grace Life Community Church right now who is in solitary confinement. Not because he murdered someone, not because he robbed a bank, But just a few Sundays ago, he went to his church and he took the key and he unlocked the front door and he walked up in the pulpit and people came in just like you're seated right here and he stood up, opened up his Bible and he began to preach the word of God. And from that, he was was arrested for violating a health order. You know what James Coates has said? I'm willing to die. I'm willing to go to jail for what I believe in. It's the Christian faith. It's the Christian faith that gives us confidence. You see, our hope today is not in ourselves. It's not in the church. It's not in a denomination. It's certainly not in the pastor. Our hope today and our foundation and our confidence is in Christ and Christ alone. That's the way we're living right now in this moment in real time, the present reality of our faith in Jesus. Assures me that my future realities are settled. I've never seen heaven. I've never seen Jesus face to face. But my faith, my faith, my Christian faith, my biblical faith, tells me that my future realities are already settled. Now, I'm going to tell you, in this culture, in this world today, we prayed today for evangelism. I'm going to emphasize that again in a couple of weeks. To go out in this postmodern godless culture and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, how many of you know that before you go, you better have it settled in your own heart? You better know that you've got the right foundation. You better know what you're standing on. You better know who your security is. I absolutely love the story of the Golden Gate Bridge back in the early 1900s. As they were building the bridge, there were 23 men that fell to their death, and through that concern, they they came up with a plan. They said, we've got to do something, and so they spent, think about this, early 1900s, $100,000. They designed a net that would stay up under the men as they worked up on the bridge, and there there were actually 10 men that lived to testify that the net worked. Can we say amen to that? But here's what they found. Not only did it save 10 lives, but they found that in the work on the bridge, because the men didn't have to worry. They didn't have to worry and fear about falling. They knew if they did, they would be caught. The productivity on the bridge went up by 25%. Now, when I read that story, I said, man, that to me is a picture of kingdom work, right? Because I'm safe. I'm secure in Jesus. Y'all with me? I'm safe and secure. The worst thing that could happen to me, the very worst thing, is that I would open my eyes and be in the presence of the Lord. So as I go out here into kingdom work, knowing that I have the right foundation, knowing that I have security in Jesus, it enables me to go out. And regardless of the opposition, no matter who laughs at you and scoffs at you or walks off or mistreats you, There's some people in this room that experience that almost every week, almost every single week in their ministry. They deal with rejection. How many of you know that's no fun? That's no fun because we want to see results. But friends, we know today as we go out and we experience that, the Lord is on our side and He's going to see us through. And I just say to you, in these last days, Christians, May our productivity go up in the kingdom because our faith is getting stronger and stronger in Jesus. Let's live the Christian life. Please hear me. Let's live the Christian life, not apologizing every turn for what we believe, but live the Christian life with conviction. Conviction that what we believe is forever settled. Number two, and I'm done. The second thing about true Christian faith that I think the author unpacks here in these six verses is that we learn from the example of others. In verse number two, he mentions the people of old who received their commendation. That word is their testimony. The people of old have a testimony of faith, of, of expectation, of hope, of believing. You see that theme all throughout the Bible. Now, one author, as I was reading this week, uh, some different things about Hebrews chapter 11. He said, as you come to this chapter, it's like you're looking out on a plateau and you see a lot of people from old, the life they lived, the faith that they had. And he said, the reader can see what is needed for whatever is ahead. The reader can see in Hebrews chapter 11, what we need for what's ahead. I was on the phone last night talking to a dear pastor friend of mine in the Midwest, and we were going back and forth. And you know what we were talking about? We were talking about what's ahead. Anybody in the room today just feeling a little bit of concern about what's ahead? I mean, I I said it last Sunday, didn't I? The walls are closing in. The walls are closing in on our Christian faith. And and please, I pray by the Spirit of God that you'll receive that and hear that. That's not just Pastor Tim being in a bad mood and being pessimistic. The walls are closing in on our faith. I I believe there's some there's some difficult days ahead for us. There are some uncharted waters that we're going to have to navigate. There's some things that that the church the church is going to have to be at the church on its knees in prayer. Saying, oh God, help us. Oh God, give us wisdom. I said it last Sunday, too many of us, we've had it too easy. Oh, we've had it too easy. We've had it made. Churches, you know, just kind of cultural, kind of optional. It's getting real. (laughs) It's getting real. And so when we look in our Bible, we have to process historically and biblically that so many of our brothers and sisters have gone through things a whole lot worse than we're going through. And in real time, right now, in this moment, brothers and sisters around the world are going through things that you and I would wish that we never would have to go through. The question is, when we face intense persecution, does it make sense to you that before we get to that? we better be settled in what we believe. Does it make sense to you that just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, no matter what decree is given out by the king, that we will have the faith that those three Hebrew boys had, and they said, we will not bend, we will not bow. We're not backing up. Isn't it beautiful today, Christian? Isn't it comforting to know that we have a historical record in the inspired Word of God of men and women who said, no, I'm not backing up. My faith, my trust is in God, even if it costs me my life. Read the book of martyrs, the Fox's book of martyrs, if you need something in addition to the Scripture. To see men and women who were willing to be killed, burned at the stake, literally boiled to their death. Why? Because they believed in God and they had a strong faith. Church, we need strong faith for what's ahead. Strong faith. We need strong trust. And so we look in Hebrews chapter 11 as the as the Hall of Faith. And here's what I love about this chapter. I wish we had time to just do every verse as we go through this chapter, to go back and, and look at the different stories and all of the events around those stories. What we find is that the names in this chapter, they are real people, men and women, who weren't perfect, Some of them made mistakes, many of them sinned against a holy and a righteous God. Yet they were remembered now. For their faith and their trust in God. As the writer says, look in verse number four, in speaking about Abel, and I'll back up to him in just a minute, but, but speaking of Abel, it says, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. There are so many people that are speaking to us today from the grave. And that's what Hebrews chapter 11 is all about, men and women who are are examples of what it means to remain faithful to the Lord. There are two men mentioned here in these verses. The first man is Abel. Of course, Abel is in the story in Genesis chapter 4 with his brother Cain, and they brought a sacrifice before the Lord. The writer here includes for us that Abel's sacrifice that he offered, it was more acceptable to God than Cain. We look back and we see that Abel's offering was the firstborn of his flock and the portions of the fat while Cain came before the Lord and brought an offering of the fruit from the ground. There's a lot of discussion and reams of paper that have been written about this story and why Abel's sacrifice was more acceptable and some try to say, well, you know, Cain just brought the fruit from the ground, but but I want you to stop for just a minute and think that maybe Cain brought the very best possessions that he had, because that's what he did, right? He was a gardener, if you will. Abel came and he brought a living sacrifice. And and I've heard preachers through the years say, see there, you know, that's why it was more acceptable. It's a a picture of the sacrificial system. And I would just kind of say to that, the only problem with that is that the sacrificial system had not been initiated yet. So why would Abel have known that he needed to bring a living sacrifice? I do not choose to solve that problem for you today. I just want to say that what we know is that God looked down, and he saw exactly what was going on in those two boys' hearts. We see what was going on in Cain's heart because God said, Abel, your sacrifice is acceptable. That made Cain furious and enraged. We see what was in his heart, and his heart was malice and vengeance. So much so that he killed his own brother Abel. But the writer of Hebrews says that though he died, yet he still speaks. Do you realize that Abel is considered the first martyr of the faith? Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian church. Abel, the first martyr of the faith, as his brother killed him out of jealousy. And when you look at Abel's life, Here's his testimony. He trusted God completely. Next, we see a man named Enoch. What a testimony. How would you like to have the testimony of Enoch? That Genesis chapter 5 and verse 24 says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. What does that mean? In the Hebrew, that means he disappeared. (laughs) Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Enoch is walking with God. And and listen, his life, his faith, his trust, oh, it pleased God. And it pleased God so much that Enoch has a testimony that only Elijah has, that instantly they were caught up to be with the Lord. Now, you know how you and I think? You and I think That a blessing from God would be evidenced by a long life. There was a lady in this church that lived to be 107 years old. She died probably 10 years ago. She was 107. She was bowling in her 90s. Bowling in her 90s. 107. And we look at her and we say, Man, what a blessing. She lived a long life. When we we look at Enoch's life, he did live 365 years. But you know what? Enoch had a son that lived just a little bit longer than him. You know what his name was? His name was Methuselah, the longest recorded life in the scripture. How long did he live? 969 years. Now, can you imagine your testimony being, man, I was only 31 short of 1,000. 31 short. we say, man, they almost made it. They made it in their 90s. Or they almost made it to 100. Methuselah almost made it to 1,000 before he left this earth. And we look at Methuselah and we say, what? You know, Methuselah lives almost three times longer than his dad. Why? I mean, Methuselah was blessed. What about Enoch? But stop just a minute. Often what we fail to realize is the blessing of God and from God when his reward for our life may be that he wants us to bring us on home with him at an earlier age to forever be with God. What kind of fellowship is that? Is that not sweet fellowship? That God would just take you on home? There was a man in the first service today that came up to me afterwards with tears in his eyes and he said, Thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying what you said today. And I said, What did I say? He said you were talking about death. And he said this morning just before I came into church, my closest friend went to be with the Lord. And he said, "I'm just wondering why? Why at this age? He's got so much life to live. He's got so much ministry to do. He's got so many people that no doubt God's going to allow him to touch, but God said, "No, you just come on home." And God reminded me this morning how precious it is to be with the Lord. That's the testimony of Enoch. Enoch walked with God. Enoch had faith. Enoch pleased God. Now, let me finish up now by another example of faith, and that example is in this room. No, you and I will never have our name recorded in Hebrews chapter 11. It's not going to happen. If you try to write yourself in there, it's not going to count, okay? No, we'll never have our name recorded in the Holy Scriptures, but it is God's plan for you to be the kind of example that every man and woman shows us in Hebrews chapter 11. An example that says, faith, my faith, I believe in God, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe that God knows what's best in all things. We look at Abel, and we say, what a tragedy his life was taken, but yet right now his life is still speaking to us. Enoch, God, why did you do that? I'm sure his family loved him, and his, and his friends are going to miss him, and God says, no, it's best. I want to take him on home with me. Do you really believe Romans chapter 8 verse 28, or did you just learn it in wana to get an Awana book? That we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Isn't that what faith is? Y'all with me? Come on, get with me. I'm almost done. Isn't that what faith is? Faith is, God, I'm going to trust you. God, I'm going to trust you even when it hurts. And the writer here says that when we exhibit that kind of trust, when we when we show that our trust is in our creator, Genesis chapter 1, who created all things, that there's a big picture here, that our God took and he created the earth and all that is in it, not from matter, but he created it from that which is invisible. We believe him, right? We believe that he did that, and we believe that he is the one who rewards those who diligently seek him. On Friday, I, I got a message from my friend, Michael Blanchard. Some of you know Michael and Carissa. We've been praying for them over the last few months. We met Michael and Carissa, actually, Scott, we met them in Jerusalem uh, on a trip in 2014, and, and uh, they they just became dear friends of Misty and, and mine, and they live in Minnesota, and Carissa got cancer, and, and uh, she passed away one month ago today, and and Michael sent me a message on Friday, and he said, "Hey, when you got ten minutes, I'd love to talk to you." And so, so we got on the phone together, and an hour later, uh, we kind of went through a lot of things. And he said, "Look, I'm just, I just gotta tell you, I just gotta, I just gotta tell you this. I just gotta say it. I want to say this to you, and then I want you to say it to your people." He said, "The last several months have been so hard, so hard." He said, I can't even put into words all that we've been through. He said, I walked in our bedroom. There's a chair in the bedroom. He said, I walked in there, and I just sat down. And he said, there's no way of getting around it. It's dark, it's cold, and it's lonely. Michael has seven children. He's got at least He said to me on the phone, he said, I got at least 10 to 12 more years of of rearing children at our house. God took his wife home, a wonderful Christian lady who loved the Lord with all her heart, who lived in the Scripture, who lived the mission of loving her family, loving others to the point of life, Jesus Christ. And, And one month ago, they had Carissa's memorial service. And he said, Tim, it hurts, and I can't tell you how many times I have said, God, I don't understand this. It doesn't make any sense to me. And he said, but I've already made my mind up long ago that I'm going to trust him. My faith is in him, and he's going to see me through this season. How many of you know that's easy preaching and hard living? Easy preaching and hard living. Let me, look, church, it's easy in this Western culture to praise the Lord. Lord, I'll serve you. Lord, I'll go anywhere you want me to go until things get really hard and get difficult. God says, you gonna trust me now? You gonna believe in me now? You gonna follow me now? That's the kind of faith that pleases our Father. I'm glad today to tell you that God always keeps his word and you can trust him completely. Pastor John Asanio, longtime pastor of Houston's First Baptist Church, said one day he was was sitting in his study at home and he was reading a book. He was all engrossed in that book. You've been there before. And 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 his little little daughter, five, six-year-old daughter came in there. Daddy, would you build me a dollhouse, a playhouse? And he said, I'm reading. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll build you one. And he just yeah, I went back to reading. Some of you moms and dad are going, oh, I've been here before. So he said, as he read, he just kind of glanced out the back window and he noticed his daughter coming off the back porch with just this armful of stuff, dolls and toys and dishes and all kinds of things. And he said, he noticed her the first time, and then she just kept coming until finally he noticed a big pile of stuff sitting out in the backyard. And he stopped and put the book down. Went in there his wife, and he said, What, what is she doing?" And his he said what his wife said to him in that moment was like an atomic bomb went off in his heart. And mind. He said, "Oh." She said, "Oh." You told her that you would build her a doll, a dollhouse, and she just believed you she just believed you. So she's getting ready for it. (laughs) How many of you feeling a little pressure on the home team in the moment? Pastor Bassanio said he put that book on his table. He went and got in his car, went down to the local lumber store, bought a bunch of lumber, said he came back and built his daughter a a, a dollhouse. And he said, I built that dollhouse not because I wanted to, not because she needed it. He said, the reason I built that dollhouse Was because I gave her my word and she just believed me. Now that's a little silly story (laughs) to illustrate our relationship with our Father. That He has spoken, He has given us His word. What does He want us to do with that word? Church, He wants us to believe Him and then to put our faith into action so that we too might be an example to one another and to others. And all God's people said,